are back again with another podcast. Woo! Y'all probably didn't think we were going to still be here after a couple weeks, but hey, we're still here. I think it's been officially almost a month since we've started doing these podcasts. We're here. We record every Monday, just so you guys know. You know, this is, um, we come off our weekend. I'm here, like always, joined by the person I address as the GOAT. El Chivo, the one and only young theologian, Mr. Paredes, is with us today. Hey, how are you, Sam? I hope you had a very nice weekend. Like you said, we record on Mondays, yep. and we publish the podcast on Friday. Yes, right? sir. So it's pretty much like we got a busy weekend. How was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Um, had a lot of different things going on this weekend. Great Sunday at church, multiple services. For those of you guys who don't know, I do lead worship or work in worship ministries in a lot of different places here in the Bay Area, specifically in my local church. Shout out to Centro Cristiano Sion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever's yeah. listening from our family, from CCS, we love you guys. But yeah, um, was playing keys this weekend. Super, super fun. I don't know. I luckily had the opportunity to be in the room and able to listen to one of your sermons because you did share the word at our local church this weekend. Yeah, that's uh, so if you hear my voice a little bit kind of sound. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know, but. Uh, you were shouting? Yeah, he was going off. He was going off. Really good word. Yeah, well, did you enjoy it? Totally. I'll be honest, some comments from actually other people who were there, specifically, you already know. Who Carmen is. Shout uh-huh. out, Carmen. Your love wife. You. Love you, babe. <laughs> That's my wife. That's my boo thing. But yeah, she was actually really, really... Um, She touched on the point where you said that you marinated the message. Yeah. And what she told me is like, I felt really impacted. Like how when I go to a restaurant and eat a nice steak, that's mm-hmm. how she felt in her mm-hmm. spirit. She says like, she's like, it did feel marinated. So that's just a little shout out to you. Keep it, keep it up with those steaks. Well, you know, sometimes it's... Why it's, did you call it a steak? Well... As it, a pastor, why did you call it that? No, well, I mean, the, the, the Word of God, I've, I mean, it, as it's described, is, you know, for the new beginners, it's like a milk, mm. you know, like a baby. Yeah. But um, the Apostle Paul uh, it described it also as a meat, as a, as a solid food, okay? It's a solid food. So when we talk about solid food, um, you want to have a nice... Um, a steak, a nice. Yeah. Um, so that's you want it marinated. How you explained? Yes, yes. Salt, pepper, seasoning. I guess the more dates you give to the to the meat or or the fish or whatever, it, 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 at the end of the day, when you cook it, it you know, it, it it will fit good. Mm. So that's kind of like sometimes that's the way you think about it. Yeah, that's yeah. the way. That pretty much that's the way I I have it in my spirit, because uh, the the spirit of God. You know, minister your heart, and then it, it, it have to impact you first. It have to impact uh, uh, you know me first, because if I don't feel impacted, what the spirit of God is telling me, or sharing, or showing me, or when I'm get my Bible, it won't impact yeah. the other people. Is so, that what they call rema, like having the word become alive in you? Well, I mean, for me, it's like I take it personal. That's that's the first thing that it have to be personal. I take it personal, especially when uh, times of uh, correction, 
times of instruction, yeah. times of activation. So for me, the world was uh, started like I think we. I mentioned to you in one of these podcasts that uh, the spirit of the Lord was uh, dealing with me about the isolation. Yeah, and then uh, I think we spoke about it in the second podcast. Yeah, yeah and then um, I had to. Um, we have our uh, daily devotional at our church, and I had the privilege to chair one week. And uh, while while I was preparing myself for that devotion, and that's when the, the, this you know I got my tools, my Bible, my commentary, yeah. everything you know. But we have as a pastor, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you know that's when I got that message, and that's where I preached it uh, yesterday. Yeah, because Monday. For those of you guys who don't know, like I know you've explained this to me, just like off microphone, off whatever. But like there. Uh, the same way that, like, let's say a teacher or even you, whatever your career might be, you take a mm, like a methodical approach to it. A lot of people might think, oh, like preaching is you just go into a room, you read your Bible and, you know, you just lock in or yeah. it's directly super divine. But actually, if you take the time to study or even invest in that, you realize that it's a lot more of like almost like a historian. You have to have a lot of tools, a lot of resources, as you're mentioning and there's even like a science to preaching, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like there's a specific way of how to structure. I, I remember you told me there's a term for it, right? In Espanol, ¿cómo se llama? Like the way you structure your messages? Oh, well, well there is different type of, uh, uh, of preaching. Like if we're going to go a little bit on the uh, um, theological yeah. perspective, we, 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 we as preachers, as pastors, we have like a textual preaching that you preach from each verse of the Bible. Mm, I get it. You can preach out of a book. You know, that the, the Bible has 66 books, and you can preach the main message of that book. Uh, and then these days, what we call the books expository. Expository? Ex expository preaching. Right. That you, you really kind of like um, bring... Um, you use the all in the New Testament, and, you know, it's sort of like a combination almost a is combination, that what expository yeah. is yeah and that's you know they say that the exposure to repression is a very effective in the day the days that we're living so it takes time i mean it, it's not easy it, it takes time and if you really love uh uh really uh, getting deep into it you can spend hours and hours and hours to really dig in right but like i say let's go back to the basic i mean if, if it has to impact you yeah, uh, you have to. So uh, that's kind of like your thermometer yeah, that you use for, me, for everything. Uh, all these years, for me, is you know, is if if doesn't impact me, I don't know if it's gonna impact other people. But yeah. for me, it checks me sometimes. It's like wow, when I see the scripture, when I see um, the historical reference, the way kind of like um, I don't know if you so you had the time to 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 notice that I brought a video yesterday. You did, yeah. I, I I put some couple pictures yeah. uh, showing the spirit of isolation, and then the big one when and says that the the devil is like a, a, a lion, like a lion. I yeah. I brought the video, the video and, I, the and I show it. I mean, right? <laughs> there. A, that was a good visual. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's question though. You for you though, that was a visual that you had already planned. Like that wasn't spontaneous. Like let's say you preached on Sunday. Yeah. When did that idea of like, hey, I'm gonna use a video, like. Where does that come from? Oh, because you know, I just had a curiosity. Yeah, because I saw the scripture. So the scripture said that he's like, a, you know, like like a lion, you know, looking something to devour. So 
And the isolation, see, the strategy of the devil, the strategy of the enemy, he, he's not going to attack when, the, when everybody is, is, is together. Yeah. He will wait until it's, it's isolated. But and, I'm just saying, like, the and, fact that and, you used an that, illustration. And, yes, yeah. and that's, that's one of the parts of a sermon is what we call illustration. Ah, uh, okay. So part of your sermon, you, it's good to have an illustration. Mm. You have an introduction. That's what I was asking. Yes, yeah, yes. there's like a structure, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yes, it's a structure. You have an introduction, okay? You take it like a verse or two verse or, or an idea, and then you go to the introduction, and then you go to the body, and within the body, you can, you can squeeze some um, illustration. You can squeeze some uh, historical reference. You can bring some statistics, and all things mixed together, it will take you of what you want to say to the to the congregation right. or what you want to expose and that's pretty much a, 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 anyone that that preach anyone that study the bible that's the what what teach what they teach you in bible school yeah i get it that's what they would call a theological understanding of yeah. what preaching is yes because at the end of the day you know like the reason why i'm even asking is because obviously your career is a pastor you know my career is not <laughs> I'm not a pastor yeah. yet. I don't know if I'll ever be. But, like, I think for a lot of people listening, sometimes they don't think about that. Like, you know, you might go to church, but you ask yourself, dang, like, my pastor is dope. Yeah. I wonder what, how, where he came up with these ideas. Because at the end of the day, the nature of this podcast is we're kind of, like, breaking down text, which yeah. is what you do on a day-to-day basis is part of your job, right? So I, I feel like... You know, just having a little bit of context in our brain will help us, even if we're not preachers, to approach the Bible from a practical perspective. I know everyone can relate to writing essays yeah. you know, in high school, middle school, college, whatever. Like you you get taught the same way how you were explaining, like you have your thesis, you have your introduction, your body paragraphs. So like it's cool to hear that there's a, also a structure on how to take something like the word that might we have we've talked about. It seems like it's super cryptic, hard to understand, but we can break it down sometimes like how we would do in school. Yeah. Treat it like a text, really dive into it, you know, or like, different things. Or like break the code. Ooh, yeah. Uh, as one of my uh, favorite uh, preachers, uh, uh, Perry Stone, mm. that he's, uh, he breaks the code of the Bible and he brings you like, you sit down a couple hours, it's like nothing. Yeah, because it, it's gets, so engaging. Yes, yeah. yes. So that's pretty much at the end of the day. And uh, But I'm it's glad. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy because like, you know, you delivered a dope message on Sunday. Praise God. And at the end of the day, like, you know, you were in the congregation. How was the worship? Was it dope? You know, oh. we were trying a couple different oh. d- different strategies. So we see the same how regardless of what you're doing, you kind of have to take a methodical approach to life. And I think any of our listeners can pick up on that practical advice. Oh, yeah. for, I mean, if you, have a, if you have a good praise and worship, it prepares the atmosphere. Uh, for the heart of the people. Yeah. That's that's the way I see it. Um, I remember um, uh, this uh, this teacher used to uh, teach us the way that it's like a, like a surfer. Mm. Okay. He, he put it this way. Like, it's a wave. Okay. That's why I guess. Shout out uh, waves. Yeah. <laughs> that's wave. why my whole thing. Is yeah. So here. that's like a, a big wave. Uh, the weight of the spirit. So you have to kind of like learn how to navigate. It's like a surfer. Yeah. If the wave is high, when like, when you feel that the place, like you feel the presence, you as a preacher know how to 
kind of like surf 100%. and take advantage of, of, of that way because it, it will take you somewhere. And for me, it's crucial. And we had an awesome praise and worship team. I, I, I know some of uh, might be, listen, I yeah. was so blessed. Personally, I was so blessed. Uh, because I think it's, it's very important to praise God. And especially when we started uh, praising that we belong to him. Yeah. That was like, uh, for me, it's, I, I felt it personally in my spirit. If I'm not mistaken, I was speaking, because I was um, what they call MDing, like mm -hmm. being music director. I had a, a talkback microphone, which is, this was one of the first Sundays of 2022 where we implemented that. Mm -hmm. Along with, I know anybody who's listening to this, if you guys are in a worship context, you're familiar with this, but also a click track. Yeah. So the question I kind of wanted to bring in and segue was like, you're talking about structures in your messages. Whether you believe it or not, we had a structure to our list. We had a structure mm. to how we were approaching. And in this case, I was trying to navigate the band in a certain direction. And to your point of a wave, how in this case, the preacher, like a surfer, approaches the wave. A surfer is a singular on a board writing. When I was in Bethel, when I was studying with Bill Johnson under like BSSM, their School of Supernatural Ministry, one metaphor that he used was the boat okay like a ship mm -hmm. and how like you said obviously on the water there are waves and we need to learn how to ride it but i think if we're to expand it in the context of like how you're saying worship for us particularly as musicians as worshipers i really motivate you guys to connect with the preacher oh definitely. because what i what i'm trying to bring up is that i asked our worship leader i was talking to him on wednesday this was way before sunday i was running through the list with him and I was asking him, like, okay, I'm going to be MDing, and we're going to be using these tools. Like you mentioned, you have your tools. Yes, yes. But at the end of the day, how do we create an impactful moment of worship was what I was asking him. And I was trying to push him in that direction. And he told me, well, I spoke with, um, in this case, the pastor, mm -hmm. who is yourself, and he uh -huh. was like, he requested a song. I was like, really? Like, what song did he request? And if I'm not mistaken, you requested that song, Te Pertenezco, yeah. We Belong. So your whole, you were already touching on that. You know, you were trying to push us in a certain direction. And luckily, we were all able to connect. The way that Bill Johnson talks about it is that on the ship, there's multiple roles. Yes. There's yes. the person in the bird's nest, mm -hmm. the one who's looking out uh, for the boat, making sure they don't hit anything, has their telescope, maybe looking out. There's the people rowing the boat. Yes. And then there's obviously the captain. Who's at the helm? Who's controlling? Who's steering the ship? So I agree. It was really cool to see how... Although it's something that we're so accustomed to, you can still make small little practical changes and it has such a big impact. I think one of our most impactful Sundays of probably the year so far, if, if I were to be honest, as far as the moment of worship, you even took a time to start ministering for people, which questionable, you know, especially during the situations that we're in. You even said it at one point, I don't want us to get fined, you know, but it's crazy yeah, because I, I mean, it, it, how it, much planning allows us to have that liberty you yes. think it's the opposite right you'd be like oh there's a click track oh there's a talk back oh there's a structure it's going to be super limiting but in reality it wasn't more so touch on that how our tools can sometimes help us facilitate and help us enter into maybe what god has for us i guess sometimes people they don't really believe that it's important to 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 have tools the thing is how well you use your tools Mm. For me, have a, a structure in my sermon is very important. Right. Because I feel confident. 
it's it's not like it's not. I mean, I don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm you know I'm a hundred percent you know believer of the anointing. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm yeah. full dependent of the anointing, totally. but I have to do my work mm. because because the spirit of God will move according to the word of God. So for me, it's like have my manuscript, if we can say that, the totally. manuscript. Yeah, your script. Yeah, my script. I have it in you know, my, my, my iPad, my whatever. But it, it gives me the confidence what I'm, what I'm about to say is there. Yeah. And then the atmosphere, praise and worship. For me, it, it got a moment when, when I saw this young man in front, of, uh, in front of the congregation being touched by God. That for me, that's a moment that I don't know. I, I'm not if I'm gonna be criticized, but for me, that moment seeing the young man being touched by the Spirit of God is worth it. Right, worth it. Why? Because I can prepare a good message. But if people are not receiving what one wants to give them, what is the fourth? Yeah. It's like you know. So that's why for me, when I saw that young man. Being touched by the spirit, I said, something is going on in the atmosphere. Something is going on right now that the Lord wants to wants to use us. And the key part that we were in harmony. Harmony. What they call um uh there is a term I, I just forgot, but we went in synchrony. Synchronized? Synchronized. Everyone was doing their part. And we saw the results. Yeah. The, the congregation was so blessed. It was, you know, yeah. the spirit was moving. And, you know, at the end of the day, my my big concern was the time. But uh, we did fine. Yeah. Time was okay. <laughs> yeah. So I had to hop on the keys at the end to sort of wrap it up for you. But yeah. Other than that, it was good. You yeah. know, that's that one of the hearts of the when you preach. The, 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 the time is sometimes the good and the bad. Anime. I don't know how many people are listening, but we're at a... This context is a Latino church, so yeah. you can only imagine we're not running like a one-hour service or like a one-hour thirty. We try, don't get us wrong. You know, yeah. uh, well, I, I guess, I guess you, you, you will, rem you will remember those days. Then when CCS, we had like a hour and hour and thirty minutes just a praise and worship. Like, yeah. I, mean, I was like, <laughs> I was talking actually. Funny that you bring that up. Yesterday, I was um, I ministered at another church just uh -huh. here in the air in the area. Shout out Cathedral of Faith, our okay. family over there. My boy Steven, I know he's listening, but um, yeah, specifically, I was talking to the drummer. Uh -huh. he, his name is also Steven, funnily enough, um, but he came a long time ago to Sion. Oh, okay. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I went there. We're talking about CCS, our local church yes. here. Um, and he was like, I remember we went there for an event, and it was like a vigilia. And I was like, oh, yeah, vigilia. And he's like, dude, we left like at 5 in the morning. <laughs> and he, we were just laughing about how, like, you know, we've shared moments like that. Yeah. And yet, as young people, because uh, Carnitas or Carnitas is his nickname, Steven is his real name, but like he's a bit younger than me. He's um, okay. 17 years old, barely. But like I feel like I grew up in those moments. He grew up in those moments. Like I think they teach you something, and yeah. more importantly, what they teach you is how something that maybe we've lost here in these past couple. I'd say maybe five to ten years. I'd say because you know I've been a Christian my whole life. I've seen churches my whole life, but that fervor. That passion might have been not misguided, but nowadays it's more like people aren't as open to that yes. or they're not 
not that they're that not open to it, but it's like it's just too much. Or I don't know how you. What's your perspective on that as a pastor? Well, I think it, it has to do also a lot with the with the uh, with the congregation, the way they've been taught. We all we've been taught that you know have good time in the spirit. Even even let's say when we had time that was not a lot, you know, structure, clicks, and all this that that maybe some brother they just play with the guitar, but they want really in their heart. The heart, and that that's the key. The heart have to do a lot uh, when 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 the praise and worship is to God. And I guess we sometimes we have our heart hardened. Nos hemos puesto duro en nuestro corazón. What can you if, account if, that to? If, there is a many many um, many things that they will put your heart hard like a rock. And I'm gonna like I'm gonna go straight. Sin. Jeez. El pecado. You were talking about that on Sunday. That was crazy. Endurece el corazón. But say what not, you said though, because I think it was cool. Like you were like, hay que quitarnos las máscaras. Let's claro. take our masks off for I mean, a second. We, you know? No, we've been dealing with almost two years having a, a, a physical, a, mask. A physical yeah. mask. But at the end of the day, we have a religious mask. Break that down. What do you mean by that? Sometimes we act in a certain way, but when we are alone, we have things that God needs to deal with us. Sheesh. And 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 I know, but uh, kind of like how we were talking about last week. Yes. you know when we were explaining the whole Paul's main conflict yes. that he had with you know Peter with the the apostles. How sometimes we get caught up in that religious mindset. We can call it religious, but at the end of the day, like. Not to misinterpret the word religion, but I've heard I've heard so many preachers say this before. It's kind of like a cliche, but I think it really is true, true, which is it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Yes. You know, and definitely. You can, in my opinion personally, I don't judge any religion. You know, you could believe whatever you want to believe. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I choose to believe one thing, and that is that at the end of the day, Christ died for my sins. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior and that through faith I am in turn made worthy and I can be in the presence of God. So what is that? That's a relationship. I realize that I can't have that relationship day in and day out. Then at the end of the day, no matter how much I can read my Bible, no matter how much I can live a quote unquote perfect life, I'll just end up replicating the same cycle that we talked about with the Judaizers. You know, I might be living a life quote unquote to the law, but I'm not really allowing that, how you mentioned, to marinate or to impact my spirit. And I, I think that's what we want to motivate everyone here on the podcast is to, yeah, whatever religion you might ascribe to, but at the end of the day, let your relationship with God take precedence over anything else. Because if you do that, you're going to be good. You know, you're going to find yourself living a life that, in my opinion, is a lot more fulfilling, not in the sense of like, Maybe you might have the richest, the most money in the world. Like that, you need to do, you need to put in work and you need to earn that. And through God, He can give you those things. But what I mean by fulfilled is like you'll go in and you'll go out of your life with a certain confidence. You'll you'll walk knowing that no matter what you do, you're connected to a source of life that is bigger than you. And if and I think that really motivates me to go out. We talk a lot about mindset here on the podcast. That's ultimately like the the core of my mindset. Yeah, I get inspired by a lot of like other people, positive mindsets, encouraging. But really my ultimate mindset at the end of the day is that if I 
can hold that relationship and I know that Christ sees me in a certain way, then guess what? I can wake up today and work hard to live up to that. And how we spoke about on previous podcasts, if I'm doing better than I did yesterday, yes. guess what? I'm moving forward in my relationship, you know, and I'm building something worthwhile. And I think it's, if we want to talk about something, today's podcast, the topic of today's podcast, you know, is that that's the key. We're going to talk about an MVP sort of in this, you know, this kind of series, this spin that we've been taking to open up our first season of the podcast. You know, we're, we always have bigger plans for this and we'll get more into that in, as time progresses. But sort of this first season, um, that was kind of the desire on my heart is to take a look at MVPs or like goats of the Bible, people who lived their life and modeled it a way that we can take some inspiration from so it. What, you know? what is the full description of MVP? MVP stands for most valuable player. Okay. You know, so if you're on a team, let's say in this case, you know, let's not talk about what happened a couple Sundays ago with the Niners. You know, <laughs> Jimmy G is not an MVP. Uh... However, however, the quarterback for the Rams was he threw over 200 yards. Yeah, you yeah, know, and so. Good an extremely valuable player, what does that basically mean? That's someone who people look up to. People on a team will see them and be like, you know what, that's our head, that's our leader. Yeah. So what do I mean by MVPs in the Bible? I mean by out of all the people that we read about in the Bible, mm -hmm. we know that God had a purpose with all of them. So they're kind of part of his team yeah. if we're to put it into that flavor, that context. And so now we're going to touch on the MVPs throughout different time periods, right? Last We've been talking about Paul. His context is in the New Testament. Today, we're going to dive a little bit into an MVP from, it's kind of funny. This is cool because, I don't know, I'm sure you know this, but this MVP that we're talking about this week is from Bethlehem. Yeah. He's from Bethlehem. And not to be interpreted with the biggest MVP of all who was from Bethlehem, which I'm sure you guys are like, oh, you guys are talking about Jesus? No, we're not. Who are we talking about this week? David. You see? That was like already off with the fun facts, you know, King David. But behind the scenes, like we can say, you you mentioned something to me that a um, somebody that's listening, uh, start listening to the podcast. Definitely, requested, huh? definitely, yeah. So this is actually we're gonna start talking about David. Shout out my boy Eden, Eden Gizar. Um, He's just one of my friends. Honestly, doesn't ascribe to any particular ministry or church, but he's been engaged. He's been curious. And he said, why don't you guys talk about King David? For me, when he told me that, I was like, well, I mean, I've heard so many stories about yeah. King David. And I just started talking to him, like, about Goliath, Goliath. I even started talking to him about his son, Absalom. You know, how yeah. there's so many. That, we'll get into all of that. Trust me. It's going to get good. But that was kind of his heart. He was like, I want to learn more about this guy. Like, he sounds cool. He sounds... And kind of I was ministering to him. Not, in, you know, not ministering to him, but I was just sharing with him about how his heart that's kind of what i really focused in on in that conversation that we were just talking about and he was like dang that's interesting how regardless of everything that he went through his heart was the biggest factor yeah. in his life and so that was kind of the the birthing point the como dicen en español el the spear tip or el punto de lanza de esta conversación this conversation that we're going to dive into about who was david you know I think he's for sure an MVP. What do you think in the uh, Bible? Definitely, because remember that one of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. In a lot of the those Psalms, right. they, they they were um, 
David wrote those psalms. Right. And one of the things is that even that David was chosen by God, even that David was a king of Israel, um, before all that, he was like a normal person with fears, with big challenges, with many things. And I think that's one of the things I like um, when I study the Bible to see these uh, characters, these personalities, that I can I can identify with them. And David is one of the. Mm. I mean, I um, uh, before the pandemic, I had the chance, I had the blessing to be in Israel, and that's uh, dope. yeah, and David. You know, it's, it's a very, very, um, what we can say... Prominent figure. Prominent yeah. figure. Very, um, su, su personalidad es muy el emblema de David. Ah. Eh, incluso eh, en, en, en la bandera. If, exactly. If you see it's in the, the star flag, of David. It's the star of yeah. David. So David is, is a very, very prominent uh, personality, even today. Yeah. Even today. Would you say in... Israeli culture or in Hebrew culture? I guess it's the same. Yeah, same. Israel, the Hebrew. Same. Yeah, you're right. Especially because he, uh, Jesus, um, became, you know, uh, el linaje de Jesús vino yes. a través de David. That's we were also touching about that in the beginning, yeah. and a little bit off, off, um, off microphone here. We were describing about you know the original lineage of man and their purpose with humanity we'll we'll dive into all of that trust me it's going to it's going to get deep but today i wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about those stories but specifically you know to dive into give some context that's what we love to do here on into the waves we love to get deep you know we're trying to get into the waves so today we're going to take a little bit of an interesting approach to how we lay out the context and we're actually not even going to focus too much on David himself yet but rather what we're going to do is we're going to approach it from what's his context prior to who David before he even hops on the scene right because we don't hear about David until much later in the Bible you know specifically if I'm not mistaken second Samuel first Samuel you know first Samuel um, towards the end of it yeah but that's already Quite a few chapters into the Bible, you know, we have literally the entire basis of the Hebrew faith, the Pentateuch, is written before we've even discovered who David is. So yeah. let's let's break that down a little bit, sort of dive into a history of, because we all know that David eventually became a king, right? But before you can even have a king, you need to understand his kingdom or, you know, understand the background there. So... Let's touch on that. Let's touch on specifically one character in particular, which is pivotal to the story of David, and that's Saul. He, if we are to break down his character and we're to dive a little bit back, we know that from the start, right, humanity was sort of taken out of the garden. Adam and Eve fall. They do what they do. But we see humanity sort of not create a separation, from God, but if I'm not mistaken, that could be a good way to phrase it, right? Como una separación entre la humanidad y Dios después de que cae, like after the fall of man. How we've spoken about in previous episodes, fear is what consumed them, and we kind of see a separation. Separation. And we have to understand the, the most important thing was a spiritual separation. Okay, yeah. Because spiritual. we have to... Because, Maybe not physical. No, yeah. no, no, because God if, was if, we, still if we're going to yeah. go, you know, deeper and deeper, and, you know, God 
wanted to deal with them. Yes, so, that's so ultimately that, yes. the point that I wanted to get yeah, to. So, that, yeah. so it was more the spiritual disconnection. Right. And because like I have said before, God did not kill uh, Adam and Eve. No. Even if, he allowed them to continue yeah. to, because he had a purpose, yes, right? Yeah. And so let's continue on that. We see Adam and Eve separate. We don't hear, again, I'm basing this off Genesis to give a brief summary. We don't end up hearing until another God-fearing person, until Noah. Mm-hmm. And we all know, or we might not all know, but essentially what happened with Noah is he was fulfilled or he was surrounded by a society that just simply, if I'm to put it in a nice way, sin consumed them. They were not living, quote-unquote, God-fearing lives. However, it says in the Bible that Noah was a man who respected God, who loved God, who feared God. And so God, as we see, has always had a purpose with humanity. And that's ultimately the key that I want us to keep following, that sort of line, that trajectory, is that God always was trying to reestablish that connection. And so with Noah, obviously, you know, he says, take your family and we see almost like a restart of humanity yeah. with Noah. Mm-hmm. That takes us then into our next point when we start studying. Um, fast forward a couple of generations, definitely yes. for sure. We can jump straight into, by that point, Noah reestablishes the kingdom. He reestablishes humanity, essentially, after the flood and after everything that happens. And we don't see another encounter, again, like a visceral encounter with you know, God trying to interact with humanity, primarily until Abraham. Abraham, yes. And so the character of Abraham is interesting because, you know, similar description to Noah, man who feared God, respected him, but there wasn't many at the time. That's kind of like a a, a trajectory, uh, like a theme, almost like un patron, a pattern that we see is that there's some people who fear God and who follow him, but almost in general... There's not a lot. Kind of reminds you of the context that we live in in the 21st, 22nd century, which is that there's groups of people, but overall, as a whole, we see that culture opposes it. You know, and that's kind of just a theme of anybody in the Bible. Paul, we spoke about it. Jesus, like, there's always people opposing him. And so, to my point with that, is that flash forward a bunch of centuries, Moses establishes that whole system of a patriarchy. You know, if we're going to start bringing it into a political understanding with Moses, he ruled side by side with his brother, Aaron. Mm -hmm. He was God through God appointed him the leader to free his people. If you've read the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, Exodus means to flee. Mm -hmm. They were fleeing from Egypt. Now we're skipping a couple books ahead, and now we're in Exodus, the whole story of the people in the L- desert. Yeah, L- Let's stop just a little bit uh, totally. to, to make a reference on, on Abraham. Okay. Because uh, Abraham is the father of faith. Right. That's what that's, uh, he's been called, the father of faith, because um, God promised Abraham. Um, that from his generation yes. would be the saving of the rest yes. of humanity. So, so Abraham uh, had to um, make a decision. He believed God and he received a promise. And in that promise, God promised that that all the descendants would have a, a, a place. But we see that the people of Israel, they were in, in 400 years, and, and like you said, before Moses chose before up, Moses. before Moses chose up, the people of Israel they were in captivity four hundred years, 
in 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 the uh, in Egypt, what we call the Babylonian system. Ah, I get what you're getting to. Right. So so that that's that's very very important because we still basically had no establishment of a kingdom up to that point. Yeah. Like nowadays we have Israel. Yes. And Jerusalem, but that didn't exist in that no, time. I get. No, yeah. No, no. And this is very important because can you imagine living 400 years? In, in in a state of captivity, in a state of a slave, that will change your mind. Mm, I get that. I get that. And and when 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 the oppression came, when all that, it you know, even even that the people of Israel were so oppressed by the Egyptian, they they cry out to God. And and because when because I don't know if we're gonna have time, but uh, yeah. It, it, Moses, see, when Moses born, cuando nació Moisés, yeah. fue, fue un nacimiento, fue algo tremendo. It, it was a miraculous uh, birth of Moses. 100% because we know that the context in which yes. he was born, which if you're describing those 400 years of oppression, it's specifically oppression from one group of people, which I'm reading right here, Genesis chapter 15 Prior to being oppressed by the Egyptians, it says that they were being oppressed by Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh -huh. So we see those 400 years of oppression. Moses is born in that context. Yes. He is himself escaping and is a fulfillment. He shouldn't have been born because the king of the time, the pharaoh, was literally saying because he heard prophecy. Yeah. And here, that's yes, the point I want to touch yes. back into is that God, we're following the line. Yes. Which was to reconnect with humanity. God speaks to the pharaoh, a non-God-fearing non man, yeah. and says, look, buddy, unfortunately, there's going to be someone born who is going to come and he's going to free the people that you've oppressed. And so what does the pharaoh do? He's like, nah, that's not happening kills yes. a bunch of people <laughs> specifically the primogenitos or the firstborns the because firstborns, that was yeah. what it said in the specific prophecy yeah. but then keep on touching into moses how his life then plays a role right because he's a direct descendant of who okay. abraham yes so so remember that um when that happened okay yeah. and we see um in the Bible, that some way somehow he he got rescued by the by the uh, daughter of uh, by the wife of the, the Pharaoh, so Moses grew up in 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 the uh, in the system the Babylonian system he was prepared. Yes. Okay. What happened with Paul? He was prepared, right, with the Pharisee, but God's plan it was bigger. Yeah. So one day he wake up. He goes outside and he see that one soldier was was trying to oppress one of his his people, and that time that's what took him to problem uh, to a big trouble because he killed the soldier. Yeah, and then he you know we all know the story. He ran away. We might not all know the story, so touch on that. So so what happened is that it was his DNA. The Jewish DNA. Specifically, whose DNA, though? Because we just spoke about him. Yeah. Abraham. Because Abraham. if we go, this is key, though, because we talk about Jesus earlier and how Jesus ultimately fulfills the prophecy. But the beauty of Jesus, when the first, the first couple chapters, or not the first chapter, the first couple words of the New Testament are the genealogy of Christ. Yes. And he comes from this specific line of yes. people. Comes from Abraham. 
which then went to Jacob, Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, who then, Jose, we're talking about Jose, yes. que vivió en Egipto, right? Yes. This is yeah. all in Genesis yes. 40 through 50. We yeah. can hear the story of Joseph, but now we reach Moses, which is in the book of Exodus. Continue, yeah. So what we can learn, even even uh, sometime when I used to uh, read the New Testament, especially the, the genealogy. Yeah, that first chapter, that, Matthew chapter yeah, one. I, yeah. I didn't have, at the beginning, I didn't, have, I didn't understand why it was, why it's important? Yeah. Yes, I asked myself <laughs> that too. Yeah. Why it was like, why those names, they're, they're important. They are. They are. Why? Because you can see right there God's purpose through generations. And if, if, we, can, if we can say that, he, he sees the DNA. Yes. And so when Moses saw that injustice, the oppression, he jumps up. Boom, and kills the, the soldier. An Egyptian. An Egyptian. Because the specific injustice that he saw was one of his. His. Although he was not, remember, he was born in captivity, so he was never supposed to be born. So the Hebrew, the Egypt, the Israel, the Israel people were despised. They were slaves. Let's be honest, they probably built, built the pyramids. Let's just put it that they way. Did. They did. They did. So then basically what I'm trying to say is, like you're saying, Moses had that blood inside of him. Yes. But the thing is, we all know the story. Moses did not grow up with his people. No. He grew up in the courts. Yes. He was raised by the Pharaoh. By That's, the Pharaoh, That yes. preparation. Yes. Although. The education and the. and the um, His culture. His culture. But his DNA was already marked. Uh, he was a great uh, soldier. I mean, he was prepared. Got it. Yeah, he was prepared. But was. He was Jewish. He was special, yeah, because yeah, he, he was Jewish. Jewish. Yeah, he was Jewish. What I'm trying to say is that that even those 400 years that the people of Israel were captive, they cried out to God. Did they? they? Yes. They cried out. They, they, they prayed. They asked, you know, Lord, send us this a, is true. A, a deliverer. This is true. Never mind. He said, right. send us a deliverer from this oppression. Because if I'm not mistaken, right, Aaron is... Moses' his brother, yes. but he wasn't his brother in the courts with the Pharaoh. No. He was his brother by blood with the captive people. Yes. So, yes. Aaron, and we know the role of Aaron, which he was a Levite before yes. he was a priest. Yes, We then see, I think this is a good segue, because we then see the calling of Moses. Yes. After he goes his whole encounter, he recognizes his sin. I think that's a key part because of who we're going to talk about, yeah. David. We see another MVP. Moses, oh, yeah, another, definitely. another goat, definitely, Abraham. Yes. But we kind of start to see what these MVPs all have in common, right? Yes. We start to see the patterns of how God chooses certain people to reconnect humanity, yes. and that is his heart. Yes. His, the position of Moses' heart, he felt that that was an injustice towards his people. He's like, he just got killed for no reason. Like, that's not right. Yes. And so that is what caused his problem. But then if we're to now segue completely through all of that, obviously, you know, we can dive into Moses. Probably he will be one of our MVPs, so we'll come back to this. But long story short, Moses frees the people. Yes, yes. Frees them from captivity, partnered with his brother Aaron. Together, yes. the role of, you know, the patriarch of the head, Moses, but then still the pairing of the spiritual aspect with Aaron. And they go through their process. We all can go in and read the story of Exodus and how they spend, they're freed from the people. Everyone has probably seen the movie 
or where Moses splits the Red yeah, Sea. Red sea yes. You know, we have all of those glorious yes. passages and moments, big, big, big Bible stories. But more special than that, in my opinion, is the 40 years they spent in captivity. And, Dur- the, yeah. and, and the problem was their heart. There we go. On that. that was the, the big problem because like uh, uh, we talked about it uh, podcast before it, the, the, the um, from from when they were uh, set free yeah. okay, by the, the Red Sea yes. to go to the promised land to Canaan it, 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 it was it was I said days of travel yes you explained that yeah right. it was days of travel but it took them 40 years because they had a problem. The problem was in their heart. And keep in mind, just to bring in the context, they're still, we're, we're talking about this line, sort of this plan of God with humankind. Yes. of men. They're trying to fulfill the covenant God had made with Abraham. Yeah. Because one thing we have to understand that God always keeps his word. Oh, come on, I knew that. That's fire. God always keeps his word, his promises. Right. And that's, for God was, I told them, I promised them that I, I was going to deliver them and take it to, to, a, to a land that, that um, flows uh, milk, milk and honey. and honey. That was God's promise. Yeah, it was. And he was going to fulfill it's a it. a serious promise. Yeah, he, he, was, he was going to fulfill no matter what. Because if we're to zoom out and analyze God's purpose with mankind, because we're going to touch on how this ties into David, he, he's always has his eye on us. Yes. You know, he, he always is looking at us. His, his intention, if we're not to zoom out and break down a mystery, is that we were designed to be in communion. We were designed to be in relationship to him, how we opened up the whole podcast. So, like, that's kind of the bigger arc. God always trying to restore that relationship. Continue. Yes. So that's, one, that's where we see the 40 years in the desert. And but still, even in those forty years, they had one big problem during those forty years, as you mentioned, their heart, their heart, and the mentality. There we go. If we're gonna say the mindset, the mindset, the mindset. So, but even those forty years, even they were um, rebeldes. Yeah, rebellious. The rebellious. They were even God was with them. More specifically, during the yeah. during the day and during the night. How he was during the day? With the cloud. I have a question, though. With the cloud. Before we break into that. God was with them, right? When is it, if I'm not mistaken, like the whole problem within those 40 years? When when does Aaron, because remember, we talked about Aaron and Moses, how together they fulfilled the plan of God to free the people. But we also see those same two characters— Maybe not Moses, because we can talk about what he does, but Aaron specifically allows his heart and his mindset to be impacted directly. Because if I'm not mistaken, is that not when they start to worship the golden calf? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Can you explain that just for people? Because I think that's an important yeah, thing to be, notice. Because God's intention is is always, and, and you see Israel now. Okay. Right. We yeah. can now see an official, yeah. maybe they don't yeah. have their land, no, but they are no, a people. No. Okay. Because... because it, it, if, if we're going to bring it into, into the real life, we have the nation of Israel. That, that was always God's intention, that they can be a nation. Yeah. And so he was putting the pieces together. He was piecing, putting the pieces together. So one day, there will be a nation. So that's why 
You see those 40 years, God deal, dealing with them. And that's why you see Aaron, you see that el linaje del sacerdocio, yes. he established the priesthood. And in those years, you see the, the tabernacle. Yes. The place of what? The place that God w w was going to visit them in a physical way. Is there not one key word? Does the tabernacle not represent the spirit of God? Well, you have to remember something. During the day, they were walking in the desert. Can you imagine that heat? It was... Yeah, it's probably bad. So... Middle East, right? Uh, Sub-Saharan. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's like a desert. So God sent the cloud during the day to protect them. That's the representation of his spirit? Yes. Oh, okay. That's, that's because if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit later, we need we, to. we're going yeah, we we to see the forms of the spirit. Okay, it was the cloud okay. during, during, during the day. And during the night was the pillar of fire. Another representation of the it spirit? It was another representation of the fire of God. So during the day, they have the cloud. And during the night, they have the pillar of fire. Oh, so we still see God interacting oh, with humankind yes, there. Yes. Yeah. Even, even one day, they said, you know, we are hungry. And what God said? Right. He sent the man. And um, we see other things. But in we still, I think it's important to tie in the fact that the biggest thing that separated humanity, because now we see another separation. This is why it's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about. The people fall into this idolatry, into this sin. And what happens? Specifically, there's a reestablishment of what? Authority. There's a reestablishment of position through what? The Ten Commandments. Yes. It says that Moses goes up to the mountain of Sinai, and it says that his face was filled with the presence of God to the point where, if I'm not mistaken, he had to wear a veil. If you read Genesis, Exodus and all of that, that scripture, it says that the people couldn't see him because it was too much the glory of God. There we see, again, God, through a specific person, reestablishing his relationship with mankind. He gives them these commandments. He says, look, this is what you guys need. And through there, we also see the establishment of what? The Ark of the Covenant. Yes. as what you're explaining. But then we see this whole process happen. We see the people continue to struggle. They're still 40 years in the desert. The Ten Commandments didn't come in at year 39. They came in early. Yes. Yet they continue to, como dicen en español, patalear. Yeah. O como una bicicleta, dar ruedas. And so what does Israel start to ask for? Like, this is not going to work for us. Moses, nah, you're not the one. Aaron, nah, you're not the one. We need a king. We need structure. We need authority. We need something, right? The people themselves, the Israel starts to cry out for this. And so what happens? And that's what pretty much, if we see from, from Exodus, we see all the way to um, 1 Samuel, on that, the, 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 the people of Israel wanted to, to really have a visual, if we can say a visual, mm. uh, that, that, because remember, uh, the way, let's put it this way. They were 400 years seeing Pharaoh, seeing his, oh. his, his kingship, if we can say that, the government, the Babylonian system, Babylonic system. So they were so accustomed to that particular system. So for them it was hard. 
to have a God that was a spirit, you know, trying to uh, guide them, trying to help them. So yeah. that's why we see idolatry so deep. Because when they when they got out of Egypt, they they were carrying that's, the gold. That's the Egyptian yes, system. Yes, yeah. yes, they were carrying the gold. They were doing it. So, and they built a calf, yes. like a statue. So, yeah. so when when God called Moses, say, "Hey, let's let's come to the to the. Um, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you something for the people." So when when Moses goes to the mountain, okay, the people said to to Aaron, "Hey, Moses is gone." I don't think he's gonna come. Build us a a a a calf of gold. Why? Because the people always wanna touch and wanna see something. Mm. Why? Because that's the nature of the soul. If that's we dope. go back to Genesis, see, it, it, I touched yesterday in my preaching. See, the devil always will try to get you out of the spirit. To bring you in the soul realm. Why? Because in the soul is connected to your to your nature, to your to your body. Because if you're not able to see, if you're not able to hear, you're not securing your soul. Right. And that's why happened, that's what happened with the people of Israel. They say, Oh, we are hungry. Uh, we want something. God sent them manna. They say we were better in Egypt than here in the desert. Yeah. And sometimes that's that's one of the things that got them in a, in a big trouble. Because their condition. The posture of their heart. The posture of the heart. Yes. It was a new season. It was in can you imagine it was it was a new future for them. Totally. But the but the flesh, the the, the sinful nature, that's the big problem. Because remember, we talk about how Paul being a, a tremendous study of the Pentateuch. Which is what we're talking about yeah. right here. We're talking about the book of Numbers, so, so Exodus. Could you imagine yeah. somebody that knew the law, somebody that knew, you know, having that heart of killing people? No. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, God is not of, that he enjoys killing people. No. Not at all. <laughs> so can you imagine? So the problem we have is the heart. But let's move on. So always yeah, Israel, because, always, yes, yeah. always, always the people of Israel wanted to have somebody that they can touch, that they can see. And that's when when we see sometime uh, from from First Samuel that we see the judges, the book of Judges. Well, that prior enemies, to that. Yes, the, yeah. the, the, the enemies came and tried to always attack them, always attract them. So, so we see in in First Samuel that um, it, that's when 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 prior David came Saul, as as you were mentioning. But the thing is, before we even get to that, right? We're still we're leaving it off in Moses. Did they ever get a kingdom? Because in order for there to be a king, there needs to be a kingdom. We see the kingdom established through who? Again, the prophecy and the purpose of man with humankind is always fulfilled. Moses didn't make it into the promised land. No, he didn't. But Joshua did. Yes. And so through Joshua, who do we see? We see a man of war. Yes. That basically in the book of Joshua, prior to Judges, mm -hmm. he fights for what is his and with his people conquers Canaan. Yes. Into what it was then considered the land that flowed milk and honey through Canaan. And so now we see there 
again, not just the establishment of Israel as a people, but now we see the establishment of Israel as a kingdom, right? Fast forward a couple years, however many years, Joshua dies. Yes. And so, and now we can open up the book of Judges. We can read yes. specifically chapter one where it says the continuing conquest of Canaan. Yes. I'm reading chapter one. After the death of Joshua, Judges chapter one, verse one. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. Fast forward a couple chapters and continuing through all of this. Long story short, God gives Joshua the victory. Yes. And, and through that gives Judah, the, you know, the following of Joshua, the victory as well. But then still in Judges chapter 2, there's a big, big, big thing that happens when Joshua dies, which is that God himself establishes this system of judges. Yes. This, this, you know, judgment through judges specifically. Judges who were basing all of their mandates and structures on everything that if you go and read the book of Numbers and you go read specifically the book of Leviticus, which Leviticus, if you were to take it into the Greek and Hebrew, means law. Mm -hmm. That's what they were choosing to uphold their governmental system by. Judges. Not kings yet, but judges. I don't know if you have any context to provide on that for us as far as what that judge system was like. Because uh, we, have to, we have to keep in mind that they had a law now. Yeah. Right? Through Moses. Through Moses. Yes. They, 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 even they were carrying to, to, the, to the house, to, uh, to the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. What was inside of the Ark of the Covenant? Specifically? Like their riches there. What was inside? Gold. Like, Huh? It was made out of full gold. They 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 laid the 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 uh, Ten Commandments, the tablets. Yeah, yeah. They were in inside of the Ark of the Covenant, mm -hmm. so they have to follow those laws. They have to obey those laws. Yeah, there so, was a very lawful system. Yes, yeah. yes, lawful system, which so, is why he implemented judges. That's why he implemented yeah. judges because a judge and a law. And yes, man. yes. So 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 see, they, it, it clicks. So they needed somebody. To really say, hey, Samuel, you broke the law. Now this is the consequence. So that's why he established law. But but in the same time, they have enemies. Yes, I was just about to touch on that, yeah. You see, they have enemies. So those enemies will come and oppress them. All the time. All the time. Yeah. We see, like, this is where if you've ever heard, like, Midianites, Canaanites, Midianites, a bunch of ites. All of them are in the first couple chapters of Judges. You know, Judges 1 through 12, we read of all these people who, again, this system of Judges was established. But specifically, there's the turning point we, with and, one character in particular, right? Gideon oh, yeah. is oh, the yes. transitioning yeah. Oh, yeah. point. Because yeah. they, they, they had different uh, Judges. Yes. Uh, if, uh, Samson was one of them. Yep. Uh, Gideon was another one. Yep. And we see the different judges. But the problem is... That they yeah, what was the problem with the judge system? Well, the thing, it was not the judges. It was the people. Okay. It, 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 they will always rebel against the law. 
They always have a rebellious heart, if we can say that. Always. Right here, I'm reading in chapter 2, verse 16 of Judges. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, their enemies. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. You see? Heart problem. So, so, so if, you can see, if you can see how the pattern in the desert, when they, they got out of the uh, Egypt, they told Aaron, "Willis the, the 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 call for gold." You see, the problem wasn't their heart. They want to worship false gods. Chapter eight, of verse eighteen. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back to their old practices and became even more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways, is you, what my translation says. Yeah, you yeah. see? So that's the problem yes, with the judge That's system. the problem of yeah, because so so moving just a little bit more forward. And he establishes a new yes a new structure. A new structure. And then we see uh, the kings, uh, the first king of Israel. Yes, and then we see... Who was the first king of Israel? But before before we, we get into the first king, um, it, 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 it appears Samuel. Remember? The prophet Samuel came. Because that was a that was a huge problem they were having. Uh, we could touch on that for sure. Yeah, because, yeah. because Eli the, was a judge. Yes. Yeah. He was he was the the, the priest in, yes. in that time. This is what I'm reading here, yes. judges. Yeah. yeah, and that's when we we see uh, the the birth of uh, Samuel, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that he was a judge. He was a judge and a prophet. Not yet, though. Yeah. Well, well, he he um, because he was establishing still a new system. Again, if we understand, remember what I had was telling you before, kind of off the camera and off off the mic, is that. He didn't have a system yet of the office of the prophet was not fully developed. Not fully developed. Because no. we can read encounters, but the way that they're described in the text and even in the old Hebrew is that they were they have no names. Yeah. Like there's people with no names until we see again the first main, main, main prophet, which is through Samuel. But again, it's interesting because we see the lineage. Yes. Again, we could still go back and read chapter Matthew one. He's part of that lineage yes. because he comes from the house of Aaron and comes through Eli, through his leadership, he becomes brought up in that. So Samuel is equipped as a prophet his whole life. He is still abiding by the law. It says that every year his mom would make him a new garment. He upheld the structure of the high priest. Mm -hmm. He followed those rules. But there was something unique about him. His heart versus the people's heart yeah. versus Eli's own heart. It says that Eli and his sons turned into iniquity. Yes. They couldn't follow the system that was set forward for them for being priests. Mm -hmm. Ese sacerdocio, the house of Eli, unfortunately, did not do a good job to uphold it. But Samuel was literally born amidst all of that. Yet somehow his heart was never affected because he developed a personal relationship. His heart was pure. It says that God himself called Samuel. And all that Samuel's response was, here I am. That That is a key point. 
where we start to see the shift of how God starts to deal with humankind. He no longer, he says Eli, and if you want to read it, you can read basically the first book of, um, when first he Samuel. starts, yeah, First Samuel, first chapter, Samuel chapter 1, one yeah. verse 22. That's what I'm about to read. Well, actually, I'm going to read First Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, and it says like this. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. This is what I was just explaining. And how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. This is the tabernacle. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, this is the key. Chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 26. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Come on. Have we not read that verse before? Yes. yes. Who? Jesus. Jesus. He grew up. Yes. So there we see again God's plan with That's mankind. The pattern. the pattern. The pattern of these MVPs. Yes. yes. Literally word for word in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, grew in statue and in favor with the Lord and also with man. In the New Testament, it says grew in favor with God and with man. And with man, yes. Jesus as a young kid. So now we see God establishing a new system through who? Through his chosen prophet Samuel and now we can completely segue into what happened which was that who was the first king of Israel okay and then look what happened chapter 8 first, first Samuel. Samuel chapter 8 that's just read it look at what happened when Samuel now Samuel was old okay he made his son judges trying to keep the same pattern the same if we can say um, a system of judges. Yes, because Samuel, as you mentioned, was a both prophet and yeah. judge. Eli it was the, the priest in that time. His sons were not good. Disqualified. Samuel gets, you know, comes into the scene. He had a favor of God. Now Samuel is all. And look at what happened. It said, May his sons judges over Israel. Now, the name of his first... Chapter 8, verse 1. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, 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 now, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Avia. They were judges in Beersheba. His sons, Samuel's sons, did not walk in his ways, but turned it aside after gain, took tribes, and perverted justice. Yeah. They took bribes and perverted justice. So we see the same pattern. The same pattern. The people return, how it said in the previous, in the book of Judges, that once the judge would die, keep in mind Samuel hasn't died yet. No. But we already see them turning back to their old yeah. ways. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, so I guess um, I, I, I want to pause this because I guess there is also some some dads that will listen to this podcast. And um, when I see this, when I read these things, it's it's it, it, it's impact my life because the dad was good, 
But look at look at the sons. Yeah. So that's why it's very important we as parents to really uh, try to 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 guide or 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 sons or daughters to the ways of the Lord. And I guess, and can you imagine Samuel was like, well, sons, you have to continue what the Lord has as a family. Yeah. Because it says that Samuel grew old. Yes. The responsibility, like you can go and read Leviticus and read mm -hmm. uh, all of Numbers, and it step for step lays out what were the responsibilities yes. of the priest. They were not easy. It was hard to be a priest. Don't get us, you know, yeah. no nos malinterpreten. It was, a, it was a tough life. It was a pretty responsible job. You were in charge for literally upholding the entire system of law and of government for the Israeli people, for the people of Israel. But what happens, right? In chapter 8, the key here, though, is the following. Humanity's heart. Yes. We keep... We got to come back to that we because... Keep, yes. We keep, it's a hard issue. Yes. Because reality is, we're reading the head note of chapter 8, and it says, Israel demands a king. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. They already had a king. Who was it? Right here. It says in chapter 7, because... What happens, to give a little bit of context, the people of Israel see that Samuel's sons are corrupt and, they're, and they go to Samuel directly because he's still alive. He hasn't died yeah. yet. He's like, look, you're old, but your sons are not doing what they need to be doing. Let us have a king who can guide us the way that the judges did. And so literally it says right here, I want to read this. It says, chapter, chapter 8, verse 6, but the thing... The thing is what when they came to him and asked them for a king. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. It displeased Samuel. He didn't like that. His heart was still in the right place. Yes. Because what does it say? It says in chapter 8, verse 8, and the Lord, uh, actually chapter 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people yeah. in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They already had a king. Yeah. And, and you might say, well, what's the problem? I don't see no problem. Why? Yeah, no. what is the problem? Yeah, why? <laughs> why did they want to? Yeah. Yeah. I don't see a problem. The problem was this. In those days, the mentality, the way they believe that when a, a king, they saw as God. Because of the structure they saw in Egypt with the Pharaoh. Because if we're to zoom out a little bit, yeah. Egyptian mythology and everything in the yeah. Egyptian system, the Pharaoh was God. Yeah. yeah, it was God or a son of the gods. Yeah, like we can, like Osiris, all those yes. weird gods. Yeah. Yeah. So, Not weird, I don't know. So that's why when they say, give us a king, the Lord knew their heart. It says right there, in, in I'm going to continue reading, chapter 8. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only, though, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. There's the segue. You know, Samuel receives this and is like, okay. But literally, still in chapter 8, I'm reading right here. It says, the Lord grants Israel's request. Yes. Who is appointed? He got the they got the first king of Israel. 
That's so, where we see that structure come into play. Yes. We see a transitioning from that structure of a high priest, the structure of judges, transitioning into now the structure of a king. All the meanwhile, though, all the meanwhile, here's the crazy part of it all that we've been touching and focusing in on is the heart. We have to continue to assess this heart part because it ties in so perfectly to the next, you know, who we're talking about when we start to talk about David. But before we get there, let's talk about Saul. Okay. Let's let's dive into this guy who now says, you know what? Samuel, the goat, in my opinion, because that's my name. That's my favorite character of the whole Bible. I was I was thinking about this today when I was just preparing. I was like, dang, I got lucky to be called a good name because it's funny. I was listening to like a, another podcast and they were like, that's how you know if someone was good or bad in the Bible is if their name yes. still comes out today. Because we have a whole bunch of weird names on here like Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, Ramah. No one is called that today. But now we, we're talking about Saul. I'm sure everyone's met someone named Saul. So who is this guy? T talk to me about him. Who is Saul? Chapter 9 says... Yeah. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Aviel, the son of Siror, the son of Bikorah, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul. There we go. He's fulfilling, again, man's plan. I mean, God's plan with humanity. He's coming from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, yes. Which was the precursor. To, again, Abraham, Moses, Benjamin. It's all following the same path. It says, as, ha as handsome, it, it was handsome. Yeah, this is in chapter 9, verse 2. Yes. Handsome, a young man as, as could, be found, could be found anywhere in Israel. He was a head taller than anyone else. You see, he was a very, very unique young man. He was handsome. He was handsome and taller. Tall. That's why they, that was the, the, the direction that this young man named Saul was going to be the king of Israel. But because the people asked for a king, it was not God's intention. It was the people asking, we want a king. And the Lord said, okay, you guys going to have a king. And then what happened? We're going to see because it, it, it differs how David came up into the, into the, the history because we, we will see it. Yeah. So, it says that basically what happens, you know, this man, we just said his name, Apphia, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, he sends his son on a mission, mm -hmm, yes. his son Saul, to go to this city known as Ephraim specifically but then his he says take your servant with you so we can just imagine Saul and his his compañero his his partner in this journey and he says that they're going and taking their donkeys just doing normal stuff yes a very important parallel for when who we start talking about next we see a, a pattern again here obedience a son responding to his father yes we always see this pattern of a father and a son We can break that down, but we're not going to get deep right there. But look, it says that his partner, his, his servant, tells him, there's a man here who is well-respected and well-known. Who was that man? Samuel. Samuel. 
Yeah. Yeah, because they had a problem. They couldn't find the... They uh, were lost. Yeah, they were lost. They couldn't find... Uh, what, what You know, so they the, the servant said, here in this city, there is a man. He's... Uh, that... He he knows. They were they the the this is the context. You can read it for yourself, chapter nine, but Saul basically was sent by his dad on a mission to go and get his donkeys yes. back. That's it. Like it's a it's a weird story, but like that's what happening. Saul was just looking for his donkeys. Yes. His partner tells him, We can't find them, but I know someone who might. Yes. It's coincidence. Yes. But there's no coincidences in the no. kingdom because look at what happens. No, no, because uh they said they went they went up to the town. And as they were entering, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high places. He was doing his still. He was old. Yeah. He was still. He was still doing his office as a as, as a, a. In that time, they didn't call them prophets. They called them seers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you El could, vidente. See. Si. Yeah. So he he was a well known, respected man in that time. Because specifically, what his servant says in chapter uh, eight through. Through ten, he says everything that this man says comes true. Yes, and look at look at what verse fifteen we're reading. Okay, First uh, uh, Samuel chapter nine and verse fifteen. Look at what happened. It says, "Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Wow, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people." Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Off camera, was I not telling you something of what it means to anoint? Yes. The word Messiah actually is derived from the verb Messiah in the in the in the Hebrew, which means to anoint. Mm -hmm. The word Messiah with the H at the end, that's a noun, which means the anointed one. That's it. So here we see the shadow of the biggest MVP in the whole Bible, which is Jesus, yes. who later we accept him and we know him now as our true Messiah. But here we see the structure that it takes someone to be anointed. It takes That's the structure that God was creating. We talk about the, his plan with mankind. He was establishing a new system, which is that in order for someone to rule, they need to be anointed. Why? Because the anointing represents what? The if Holy Spirit. That's it. Yes. There we see the link. There we see the bridge. We see now the Ark of Covenant transitioning from being the representation of the Spirit to now the Spirit itself abiding in the King. And once again, we see God in action. Before Saul comes, the day before, he told Samuel, hey, yeah. tomorrow at this time, somebody's going to come. So Samuel already knew about Saul. That's crazy. That's how God works. That's that's how God works. He he he's, he and, and and if we can say it, he was in the equation. He was in what is what was happening. He was even even God did not like that idea from the people. He was there. That's he was that's giving powerful. direction. He was giving direction. He was God's telling him, yeah, he was even, Samuel, you know what? I'm going to bring you somebody and you're going to anoint him. Can you imagine? To be anointed by a prophet, it was not a... There was a, no system a, a, for a, that. No, no. And, no. and, and it, it, it was not something like, 
I'm going to give you a, a, a title. There was, there was something special to be anointed. And, 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 and this Saul was about to be anointed. Let's, the, read, the, let's the, read what happens. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse, in this case, 22. What A little bit of context. Samuel already knew Saul was coming. Yes. So what is it that he does? He prepares an event. He prepares a ceremony. Yeah. He invites people to his house. Mm -hmm. he, he presents a meal. Yes. He creates a meal. And so this is what happens in chapter 22. He tells Saul, or this is in verse 9, he tells Saul, come with me because you are going to dine with me. You're going to eat with me tonight. And this is what happens at that dinner. I'm reading chapter 9, verse 22. Then Samuel took, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man, the young man we were talking about, and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, which were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. Right there, we're already seeing that Samuel had done preparation. Yes, preparation. He had invested in this process. Verse 23. Verse 24, so the cook took up the leg of what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see, what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. Mm -hmm. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof and he laid down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Crazy. And look, look. Uh, chapter ten, which we 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 yeah, we're just we're reading it. along because yeah, we're this just is very following. very very interesting. Look at yep. uh, verse uh, one, chapter ten. Look at what happened. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him, and said, "Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies." And this shall be the sign that to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. What sign? The oil. The oil. The pouring of the oil. Yes. Keep reading. Then we read chapter 5, uh, chapter 2. When you depart from me today, mm -hmm. you will meet two men mm -hmm. by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Selsa. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, mm -hmm. saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tarbor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young. So basically what he, I've, I read this already. He mm -hmm. basically establishes the first sacrifice that uh -huh. Saul must do in order to be Really, really, really accepted as king. If we skip a little bit forward to chapter, to verse 17 of chapter 10, it says, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, 
And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all the calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. That's big right there. Because what did, what did God tell Samuel? He said, warn them about what happened. Yeah. Warn them. So God's plan with mankind, Samuel is just following. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, he's like, He's like, look. He was obeying. He said, look, Saul, I'm anoint you. This is the mark. But also, you got to do some other stuff. You got to go present a sacrifice yes. before you get home. Because remember, it says his dad was worried about him. Yes. Did they, he was looking for the donkeys. Mm -hmm. But now his dad was looking for Saul. Samuel says, no, before you do that, you need to do one thing, yeah. which is if you go and read that, he provides sacrifice on the mountain of God, yes. which was Bethel. Yes. If you want to go and read that, who established Bethel? We know who did that. It was the marking of when Jacob wrestled with yes. the angel. So we're there seeing Saul enter into where his ancestors had had their encounter. Yes. So that's what that that passage marks in chapter 10. So we see Saul have an encounter. We see him imbued with the spirit, not only with anointing oil, but also through sacrifice. First, he, he got anointed by Saul, by Samuel. Yes. With the oil. And look what happened, verse 6. That's, that's something powerful. Read it. Yep, I got it. It says... Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You see? You see Transformed. Yes. You see God trying to change the heart of a man. Break that down, please. That's, that's powerful. Because he got anointed to be a king, and he said, you know what? Because in, in those times, the, the, the kings and prophets, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon them, okay, for, for the reason, because they have a purpose. They have, uh, that's the office of the prophet. That's the yeah. office of the prophet. And, and, the, and then even, and this is the beauty I like about God, even God was not pleased with this Saul. Yeah. He said, they, they, they rejected me. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. We're going to give them a king. You're going to go anoint him. And can you imagine in that moment, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you to be a king. It says to be a different man. Yeah, to be transformed. To be transformed. Yeah. So if we can say that, we need the spirit of God. It says chapter 9. Oh, my goodness. I'm just reading this right now. That was in an instruction, what we just read. Yes. Samuel was still explaining to yes. Saul, hey, look, this is what you're going to do. And then, so Saul hadn't received the spirit yet. But chapter, verse 9, chapter no. 10, chapter 10, verse 9 yes. says, when he, Saul, turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. Can you imagine? So, A heart. Yes. God deals with the heart first. He, he, he was dealing with his heart. And if we're going to summarize the... The, uh, the whole anointing the, of Saul. The, yes, yeah. that's, that's pretty much what it is. God was looking the heart. That's why later on we're going to see why David was after God's heart. Why? 
because God sees the heart. And and that's that's very key. Yeah. He wraps it up because after his heart is transformed, this is what happens. Samuel unites all the tribes of Israel and tells them this address, which we already read, which is that you've rejected God as your king and you've asked me to anoint one for you. Well, I'm going to do that. And if we read chapter 10 through all the way, basically read 10 all the way through 11. Yes. Uh huh. Samuel explains all of this information, but specifically what happens is Saul takes a victory in battle. Yes. That's essentially what, what verifies him because you spoke about how sometimes people need to see it in order to accept it. Yes. Right there was the visceral, the clear visual representation. Literally, Saul, who we all know, they said he was handsome, he was tall, he was stronger than everyone. He defeats the Ammonites. And I'm now going to read chapter 11, verse 12. And this is what it says. Then the people said to Samuel, this was after Saul had won his victory. Who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men. That way we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For, the Lord, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come. Let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So until there, now they have a king. But we see what kind of king they had. You see. They had a very specific king. Yes, and something that they asked for. In uh, chapter 13, it says Saul was 30 years old. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. He was a young man, and now he's 30. Now he becomes a king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Yeah. 42 years was his reign. Can you imagine? That, that time, now... Let's let's get in, let's wrapping up this thing now. What happened with him? What happened that with that king? Yeah, it's important to <laughs> it, know. It is because if you want to read what happens, Samuel explains to us what happens in chapter twelve. Okay. Because remember, when God first told Samuel, mm-hmm. "Okay, yeah, you're going to appoint a king, but you're going to warn them of what it is that a king really does and what it is that a king truly represents." And this is what happens. If we read chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, we see a transition. We see what happens. We see once again the pattern of everything that happens. Whenever a new system is implemented, the Israels are always, always at war. Always. They're a nation at war. They're a people at war. That's why they wanted kings. That's why they wanted judges to be able to defend them from their enemies. And it says that Saul picks a fight with one of the biggest territories at the time, yes. the Philistines. Yes. Uh, an opponent who was so feared by everyone. They had giants. I'm not talking about like seven footers or like basketball player tall. No, 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 no. We've all, we'll get into that story, but we're talking about people famously known as like Goliath. We're talking about giants. We can, on the next 
we'll touch in a little bit of what we used to talk about when we were young. When I was younger, remember the book of Elohim? Yeah. How it describes where these race of giants, giants yes. came from? Okay, check it out. Saul picks a fight with the biggest territory in mm -hmm. all of the region because he was a king. He wanted to expand yeah. his territory. But this is what happens. I'm reading chapter 8. So basically, he was struggling. Saul was not having good success to defeat the Philistines. He, he was struggling. It says, chapter, chapter 13, verse 5, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash, which is where Saul was at the time, to the east of Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. That's important later on. That doesn't matter right now. But Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. This is the context. This is the, the, the situation that Saul finds himself in. He picks a fight. He's surrounded. He's encamped. He doesn't know what to do. In other words, he's between a rock and a hard place. He's in the crunch time. He's in the grind time. This is what he does. Chapter 8, uh, verse 8, chapter 13, 1 Samuel. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Samuel did not come to Gogol, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, so this is what happened. Samuel, who everyone regarded, and we, we read where it says that everything Samuel said came true. Yes. He doesn't show up. He doesn't make it. We know why he doesn't make it. God tells him to not go to that meeting with Saul. And this is what happens. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. But let's pause there. The burnt offerings and the peace offerings. A burnt offering means one that's already been consumed. That's not a pure offering. Mm -hmm. It's an unclean sacrifice. And this is what happens. He says, and he offered the burnt offering. Not the peace one. He offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. <laughs> we see a transition in the man's heart. Yes, because of the pressure of the people. Because what we was encountering right there. He was presented. He he did the right thing. Yeah. He asked, bring me both of them. But literally, Samuel shows up and is like, La regaste. You didn't supposed to do that. You messed up. I'm the prophet yes. here. You did not follow the system yeah. I set, which was that you are the king, but there's still a high priest. And what happens? This is what happens. Verse 14, chapter 13. But now, but now, 
your kingdom shall not continue. This is Samuel talking to, to Saul. And he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Right there. This is the pivot. It says that God was searching for a man after his own heart. Yes. That's what all that's all he was looking for yeah. all along. That's the the crux, that's the core of of the beauty of this and you know, uh, if you've read the Bible before, you know who those words particularly apply to. There's only one person who is given that title, a man after God's own heart, and that's David. The topic of these podcasts for this series that we're about to dive into, we see the context now in which David is born. So Saul practically he disobeyed, and disobedience brought to him to the end of of his position as a king. Yes. And can you imagine how Samuel felt? He he, he was like, man, qué regada. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was like, wow, I mean, what happened? And now we see that in, in chapter 16, it said, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as a king over Israel? This is chapter 15. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 16. So it, 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 was, it's a, it was a big strategy. But, but the beginning was because how can we apply this? To, to to our life. It's sometimes we ask, we we want things. And God will give us those things. But it's not the perfect will of God. Sometimes you might ask things, Samuel, during your, your life. But it doesn't mean that it's the God's perfect will. That's what we see a lot of a lot of people in the church asking for things that they, they, they do not align to the perfect will of God. And we see Israel. Chapter 11 and 15, verse 10, it says, the, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. Why though? For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. That's what disqualifies Saul. Yes, yes. So... Now we have a big problem, and Samuel, he's... He, this is, I mean, if we read what happens, I'm sorry, my boy Sam does not do too good. He says, after hearing that, it says, and Samuel was angry, yeah, and he cried at the Lord all night. Can you imagine that? Yeah. He was like, dang. La no, regamos. No solo la regué, <laughs> la regaste tú, la regué yo. La yeah. like, I also I mean, messed like, up. Yeah, so... My boy Sam was like, I yeah. don't know what to do anymore. I'm I'm lost. And he, he cried. And he was impacted. Can, can you mind? He went dates. He, he, he felt sorry. But God still had a plan. Verse, uh, chapter 16, read it. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you mean? Chapter uh, ber- yeah, chapter 16, verse 1. Oh, I get what you're saying. That's what you just read. Yeah, yeah. The Lord said to Samuel... How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? And yeah. then, continue. Fill your horn with oil and go. We've seen him do this. This is the second time he does it. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself 
I've provided for now, myself a king among his sons. Now God is providing is providing to himself a king. In my ver in my in my in my version español, in my Spanish version, I, I was reading, and when when Samuel anoint Saul, he used a vaso. Yeah. Dice yeah. que un vaso. Le echó aceite. Ooh, that's fire. <laughs> then look at what he uses to anoint David. You see, it was a different... Different in, vessel. Different vessel. That's fire. Uh, that, that got my attention this that morning. Caught, that catches me. You know, for, for Saul, he used un vaso. Okay, here. Boom. Samuel was obeying God. He anointed. But now look at... Le dice, don't stop crying. Come on. Move on. Get your horn. The real one. Yeah. Can we can we pause there? I want to pause there though because this is a good a, a little bit of a of a tangent, but I think it's important. Let's look at Samuel's heart too. Ooh. Let's let's analyze how he was wrong in his heart posture because it says that Saul was handsome. He looked good. Yes. He was taller. So What does Samuel do? He throws a party. Yes. He throws a huge ceremony. He's like, look, I got my food prepared for you. That's why Samuel was so convinced in his heart. He's like, this is the thing. This is what I need to do. But it's key what you say there. A cup is much smaller than a horn. Yes. The amount of anointing yes. was more the second time around. Yeah. But here's the, here's the thing that I wanted to pause and zoom in on is... How God was also dealing with the heart of Samuel. Oh, definitely. Definitely. He was be, shaping be, be, him. Be, because remember, at the end of the day, Samuel. He needed him to, uh, to anoint David. Yes, yes. And in and, and, and that, and that process, see, remember, but this time uh, Samuel was old. Yeah, really old. I mean, he had experience. He'd he been walking with the Lord. I mean, to miss all these things. I think for me it's like 80, 90% to miss all these things. Yeah. But obedience is the key right here. Obedient, he obeyed. Samuel. Samuel obeyed. So even though his heart was conflicted, I, mean, I think that's a powerful oh, message. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you you can be in a situation that 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 you maybe have done some things in your life, because that's what happened to him. He was all troubled. He was murmuring. He was crying. I said, oh, what a He God. said he cried yeah. to God. Se, and, ver, se puso en un berrinche. Yeah, and then he was like, what happened? I mean, and then the Lord said, I have rejected him. Even said, yeah. you know, don't worry. It's not your problem, Samuel. I rejected yes, him. Yes, I rejected And then he said, now let's move on. And I guess that's 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 the, 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 the uh, application, if we can say, that Sometimes we have made, we have taken some decisions that bring us bad consequence as, as the people of Israel. They, they asked for a king. They got a king. It was not the best. Something happened. Now, Samuel, it was the, if, if we can say, it, 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 was the, it was the practice of a religion. It was a practice of something that has been done. But sometimes God is a God of new of new beginnings. See, God, maybe maybe you have some, you know, in the past years you've been stuck and say, oh, I used to do this, I used to do that. Now what happened? 
That was, the, that was Samuel's position. He said, look at what I did. I annoy him. And, this, and now look. He tells I'm, him. He tells him in, in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 23. He says, he asked Saul, Samuel. He's like, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Samuel confronts Saul and tells him, do you think that this is the right thing that you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Because it's not, you know, he tells him that you shouldn't be doing these things. He says, don't do that. But look at what he does say. Behold, to obey is better than any sacrifice. Yes. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Yeah. The fact to be in disobedience, Samuel said it's the, it's the same as the worst. Yes, yes. We we see that same pattern when Jesus says, doesn't matter how much you've sinned. One thing against God is iniquity, yeah. is disobedience. And he tells him, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Yeah. And we see that uh, it then God said to Samuel, okay, let's move on. Get your horn. Let's go to Bethlehem. I have provided me a king, and you're going to anoint it. And look what happened. But I think it's important, though, before we even get to that, is to note the posture of Saul as soon as he's rejected. Oh. Because we cannot touch David. The, the end was bad. We cannot touch David. Yeah, it was a bad end for, for Saul. Without talking about what was yeah. Saul. Because although, yes, let's talk about it, right? You're saying we're going to break into the specific anointing and how it differs from Saul's. But the point is he's anointed. But guess what? Samuel sends him back to the fields. Yeah. He doesn't do what he did to Saul. Saul was a king from a very young age, whereas David was not. But let's, I want to, before we even end this episode, I just want to give the context of who and how Saul was acting at the time. Look at what it says after we read that he was rejected. This is what Saul responds after he tells him mm -hmm. okay he says i have sinned for i have transgressed the commandment of the lord and your words because i feared the people and obeyed their voice now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that i may bow before the lord and samuel said to saul i will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the lord and the lord has rejected you from being king over israel as Samuel turned to go away, this is what shocked me when I was reading this in the morning. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. Mm -hmm. Verse 28. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man, and he should have regret. Again, we've read that scripture before, where it says that the son, que Dios no es hombre para mentir, ni hijo de hombre para arrepentirse. He, he just said it right there. But then it says in verse 30, I'm reading chapter 15, verse 30. Mm -hmm. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people, and that he has chosen these then Samuel said, and then basically, uh, look, my bad. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. 
So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Basically, what we see here is Saul's heart posture. Yeah. He says, okay. Uh, you know, his brashness, his, his anger, his frustration, he goes and reaches after the prophet. Lo toca. Yeah. He, in other words, you could say he like lo alborota. He makes him uncomfortable. Yeah. He tears his clothes. Yeah. You don't do that to the prophet. I'm no. sure in that time there was certain things. And Samuel's like, you're messing up even more. Yeah. You're making more of a mistake. The same way you just tore my shirt, God has torn the kingdom from you. Yeah. But look at Saul's posture. He says, fine, 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 fine. I don't care about God anymore. Then at least make me right in yeah. front of the elders. <laughs> from up the people. You see? That's the context that Saul was living in. And that's why sometimes we walk like that. Mm. We can be good in front of the people, but bad in front of God. And, and we that was Saul's posture. Yeah, that was yeah. his posture. He, at the, at the, they said, I, I want to be good in front of the people. I don't care about be good in front of God, be right in front of God. And how many people walk that way in these days? And that's, that's, that's very sad, really very, very sad, especially because if we're going back to religion, you know, as, as Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, they thought in front of, 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 of the, you know, the other people, they were fine. They did. But in their heart, Jesus told them, you know what? You look like all white in the outside, but in the inside, you are like serpents. Son como serpientes. Yeah. It's interesting, though, to know, I think, the posture of Samuel. Because it says that in what we just read, that in the same way that when, when Saul tears his robe, in this case, we can think of it almost as Samuel was the only connection to God at the time. Yes. The only link. It was the representation. Because he was the prophet. Yes. He was the voice of God. So, but look at the voice of God's posture. Sad. He falls into depression. He starts crying. Right there. Verse 34 of verse 15. 35, he yeah. says, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. Yeah. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Israel over king. Like, there we see the connection. God still had a plan with humanity. Yes. But we see the heart of the prophet torn because that that wasn't accomplished. I'm sure Samuel was so in tune with the spirit that he was like, that's why he was crying. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's why he was so quebrantado in the same way that when Jesus came, it says that he cared for us with such a passion because we know that Jesus is the high priest. So in this case, the, that we see that similarity in the grieving, in the sadness but I think that something that really ministered my heart this morning, because I'm like, my name is Samuel, you know, so I was like, man, I, I, I was really reading what his actions were. So I was just kind of like asking myself that. I'm like, sometimes we go through that too. Where quizás en este caso me imagino que Samuel, he, Samuel condemned himself probably and was like, man, I messed up. I did all of this and all of that. And, you know, just getting in his own head. Because the reality was that that was not God's true intention. It wasn't his purpose, but Samuel allowed himself to feel these emotions. Why? Because like you're saying, sometimes maybe what we think is right, and yet when we're confronted with the truth, 
because that's what, like you're saying, Jesus confronted the Pharisees. In this case, we see Samuel being confronted, his own foundation, one of the mightiest prophets ever. Yes. So then that made me reflect on myself. I'm like, God, how many times have I probably cried over things that I shouldn't have cried about? Yeah. When you're already pushing me in another direction, yes. I'm still stuck yes. on this. Yes, yes. Right? And so, like, that was really ministering that's me this pretty morning. Much, yeah. That's what we can say. We can apply it. Yeah. We, if we're going to apply that, we, we can apply that uh, that application. That sometimes we're still crying. We're still murmuring. We're still Looking in stuck. the past, stuck. When God has, He has a plan. So if if I can say something, I don't know what is your situation, but don't go, don't get stuck. God's plan is still ahead. Yeah, God's plan is still is going to be fulfilled in your life because He has promised. And I guess that's one of the things that the beauty of God. If we can say that's the beauty of God, that no matter what happened, he still have a plan for us. He still have a plan for Israel. Can you imagine? I mean, we're going to get into how it, many yeah. times, I mean, the people of Israel reject God and still he loved them. He still loved them. Because I think the key here and that this is sort of what I was like asking and being minister this morning. I was like, what he what his biggest plan was with humanity, if we're to summarize it in all these patterns, patterns, patterns. It says God was after a man after his own heart. And so I think that that's the key there. Do not get stuck in the past so long as the condition of your heart is where it needs to be. I think that that's almost like the, if if we're to say like the thermometer or the, the barometer that we are to be measured, that we're to be held against, is what's truly the position of your heart. Because if we see what happens with Saul, it's truly just a heart problem. Yes. He was not an unsuccessful king. No. He was good at war. And even he had his son, Jonathan, who he, was a beast, who he, was a great. He, he, was, a, he was a handsome. He yeah. was well prepared. He, uh, all the abilities. But his downfall was his heart. His heart. Because literally the thing that rejected him that God says, no, I reject that, is his heart. Is his heart. Porque el sacrificio, the sacrifice to be, oh, this is deep. It says in the word of God to present yourselves before God as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Saul yeah. presented a burnt sacrifice. Yeah. That's a heart thing. That's a condition of the heart. Yeah. That not, yeah, it disqualified him. And I think that, like you're saying, if if there's anything we can take from this sort of like little prequel, it was fun to dive into the context, mm -hmm. dive into, you know, what we're going to be talking on. I think we laid a good foundation. But if there's one thing we can take from this that I felt was that let's examine our hearts. Yes. Let's let's check into that reality yes. as we continue to dive into this and hear about the most famous man who had his heart after God. If, if we're going to start looking at that, I, I, I test you, I, I challenge you this week to let that be your reflection. Where's my heart at? Yes. What am I, what, what are the things that I prioritize? What are the things that I love? What are the things that I truly, truly, truly give my 100% all to? And ask yourself, is God one of those things? Because if it's not, or if he is not, don't allow it to disqualify you from the plans that God might have for your life. Because again, we see God's plan. 
And God's plan, like you said, his plan is to keep his promise. And his promises for your life are yes and amen. It says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And so ask yourself if your heart aligns with that, right? Because if not, then we could potentially end up like Saul. Or we can end up like Samuel. There's two. We could either yes. be so caught up yeah. in, oh, no, let me get the approval of everyone else that you jeopardize your condition of your heart. Or you could be so caught up in yourself. Yeah. Oh, pity. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad. Oh, I'm so depressed. I'm I'm never going to, you know, I messed up. My heart's... Those are the two characters, you know, that we touched on today, Saul and Samuel, but they're critical in who we're going to start talking about next, which is David. 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 How he, he, he got anointed. Uh, why, why, why him? Why him? Why him? What about him makes him an MVP? Yes, why, why? We're going to see it in the next podcast, and I guess we guess we laid it down. But, it, you know, very simple. Uh, send us any question. Yeah. Um, Let us know things, for sure. Even you could contribute um, to put something that we we missed. Totally. Yeah. We, we're we, we're just running yes. through this fast. You know, yeah. obviously for times of constraint, yeah. we can't sit in there and break down every single text. But like, definitely, if there was something that we missed, if there's something that you might have wanted to touch on, let us know in the comments. Let us know through DM, you know. Hit us up. We have an email that's linked on all of our socials, too. You can send us an email, whatever you guys feel free to do. But, yeah, we're here. We're chilling. This was this was a good one. I liked it. Good. All had right. a good time? I had a good time. I think it was pretty dope. You know, we're here. We're chilling. It's a, it's what a you beautiful gonna do day. After? What are you going to do after? Pues ahorita I got to go. I'm sure you got to do the same thing. We got to go walk the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect, beautiful day to go it and is, do that, you it know? Is. Well, like you said, stay in the waves. Stay wavy. Wave. You're going to start saying it now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, there we go. Hit us with it then. How do you say it? Manténgase en las profundidades de las olas. That's too wordy. <laughs> en español sería no ondeado porque, no, olas. Las olas. Yeah. Mantente en la onda de la ola. Mantente en la onda. How about that? Keep it wavy. <laughs> Mantente en la onda. All right, guys. We love you guys. Hope you guys stay blessed and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Amen. God bless you. Take care.